One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Do you like the show and want to help support us? Want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. Greetings, programs. I am back in the captain chair again. Well, the co-pilot chair. <laughs> uh, my name is Jason Robbins. And my name is Derek Diamond. I've uh, been gone for a few weeks, and uh, I-, I don't want to bring the show down, but I do want to address some things that uh, some big changes happened in my life uh, the last month, and it took a lot out of me. And, um, you know, I had to take some time off from the show and uh, thank you, Derek, for taking the helm. And thank you to Robbie for taking my place one week. And um, I'm really sorry, everybody, f- uh, for having to take some time off. And, and there may be some times in the future that um, you know I might need to take some more time to myself because this is an ongoing thing that's going on in my life right now. And I did want to touch on, I want to give a huge thank you to uh, a lot of my friends, a lot of personal friends, friends that don't really listen to the show, but the ones that do, um, you know, a, a lot of people, uh, too many to name. I mean, a lot of people have reached out to me. You know, Daniel Sammons reached out to me. Brandon Rutledge reached out to me. Tyler Watson did. Um, and especially, you know, Wally and you, Derek, um, you and Wally especially. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about mental health and um, how important it is because I have struggled with depression and anxiety for all of my life, really. And um, when something this big happens to you, it can send you into a severe downward spiral. And I'm not going to say what happened to me. I mean, a lot of people can kind of figure out (laughs) what happened through some of my tweets and things like that. But uh, thank you to you, Derek and Wally, for really almost literally talking me down from the ledge a couple of times because I got to a really, really dark place a couple of times. And if it weren't for you guys, I don't know if I would be sitting here right now. Well, no, it's and you know, I say it's absolutely, you know, no problem. We've missed, you know, having you on the show. Um, doing the show solo was very interesting, but you know, I pushed through it. And the, the important thing was, you know, I, I wanted to just give you the time that you needed. Cause I, I know, and I'm not going to say what you've been going through, but I know a little bit about it. And 
You know, it's it's like that old saying, time heals all wounds and there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. So, yeah. you know, it's it's something that I've struggled with myself. You know, I've also been going through some personal changes, you know, not nearly to the extent that you have. But, you know, I, I know a little bit about what that's been like. And I, I myself have been in kind of a, you know, not the greatest headspace in the world, too. So. You know, and the thing that I will say is that, you know, mental health is something that I think should be people should be more aware of it because yeah. a lot of people just want to sweep it under the rug and say that exactly. it's nothing. But it's it's definitely something. So, you know, we're all here for you. And, you know, if you ever need anything, I'm just a text or a phone call away. I know. And there were a lot of people that reached out to me to see how I was doing. And I know I didn't probably didn't answer some of them because I've been very withdrawn and, you know, antisocial for a while. And uh, thank you guys. And, and I'm sorry if I didn't write you back. Um, but, you know, it, if you're out there and you're listening to the show and you're going through something or you feel like you need help, there's no shame in asking for help. I mean, there are people out there that will help you and I myself and I'm going to be going to a therapist soon so I can get my head back on straight and get my life good. All the pieces put back together and, um, you know, I try to be happy again, you know, and that, that's a tough thing. That's a tough mountain to climb when you had the rug pulled out from under you. So, you know, thank you to everybody for, for sticking uh, with the show and, you know, everybody that reached out to me. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm okay. Um, I'll be here. I mean, I might need to take some, a few more shows off here and there to kind of get some things straight. But, um, but I'm going to be here. And uh, thank you, guys. No, absolutely. And I, I, it's good that you're seeing a therapist. It actually does help. I myself have been seeing one, you know, since March. So. Awesome. It, it'll definitely help. You know, to, it, it helps when you get an outside perspective yeah. from, you know, whatever it is you're going through. So, no, I, I, I think that's good. That. And like I said, <laughs> you know, things will always get better. Yeah, and they do. I mean, every day gets a little bit better. Um, uh, a little bit. I mean, you know, I, I can see a difference every single day that I wake up that everything kind of hurts a little bit less, you know. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it's gonna take a long time, but I, I'm gonna get back to to my normal self, and um, I need to start writing again. I'm getting back into acting class and all that stuff. So, I you Good. know I took some time off from everything to kind of withdraw into myself, but now it's time to step back into the world again. You know? No, absolutely. But uh, anything you wanted to uh, talk about before we drop into the news for this 100th episode of the Nerd Cave Retro? Yeah, it is episode 100. It's mm -hmm. kind of crazy to think about that. You know, I, I was I was actually talking with someone uh, at work today because I was telling them we were doing the show and told them it was our 100th. And it was funny. We were actually at a um, a work conference the day that you actually asked me. It was like, hey, would you want to do a podcast about retro <laughs> games? And I was like, Let's do it tonight. Yes. I, as you know, it's, it's something that we talked about it months before we actually started doing this thing. Yeah, and it's, well, we put a lot it's of been thought a into this show before we started. It wasn't just like, hey, let's do a podcast. And then we just did it. It was like a lot of thought and care went into this show. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's something that is uh, like retro gaming is a huge part of my childhood as it was for you. And oh, yeah having this as an outlet because I, yeah, I will say this, it's different than when I'm doing my own show because mm -hmm. they're both different and they're both good in their own way. But I love just reminiscing about, you know, simpler times yeah. and things that I grew up with. So oh, it's, times. it's a true highlight of the week. <laughs> Is there a way we can go back to simpler times? Is there a time machine that we could steal from a lab somewhere? Please. Hey, I, I would love to go back to <clears throat> August of 91 and play the Super Nintendo again for the first time. Yeah. December that would just be absolutely amazing. One would be one I would want to go back to. Yeah. Mm. But no, it, it's been it's been a true, you know, it's been a lot of fun 
doing this show and, you know, for those who are listening to the audio version can't see me, but I'm raising my coffee cup because I'm going on three hours of water. sleep. So uh, cheers. Here's to 100, 100 episodes. But I, I do want to, I'll address, because I'm sure everyone's noticed that I haven't done my show in a while, but I'll, I'll address that when we come to the close of the show. Okay. Well, I guess it's time that I haven't played this in a while, so let's get this going. All yours, sir. So our one news story comes to us from NintendoLife.com. I completely forgot about this little gadget for the N64, but a talented individual finishes Super Mario 64 with the N64 mouse, which was a Japan-exclusive peripheral that was actually going to be uh, uh, packaged in with the uh, Nintendo 64 DD title, which was basically going to be like an added extension to the N64. People will know, most notably know that as uh, the failed Zelda Master Quest, which was basically going to be an alternate version of Ocarina of Time, where the dungeons were going to be different. Uh, it was, they were going to be a little bit harder. Um, if you're not familiar with the N64 mouse, after this video, you certainly will be. YouTube channel Critbox has managed to complete Super Mario 64, collecting 70 stars and defeating Bowser using this rare and official peripheral. Exclusive to Japan, the old-school ball mouse was bundled with the 1999 Nintendo 64 DD title Mario Artist Paint Studio. It has two buttons, acting as A and B, and relies on swiping movements to mimic the analog stick on the N64 controller. Unsurprisingly, Critbox found the mouse to be exceptionally accurate when firing Mario out of cannons. Now, I did watch this video earlier today, and just watching this guy play through in six, uh, Mario 64 with a mouse is pretty entertaining. Wow. He he dies quite a bit. I'm sure. But like this, this is called having way too much time on your hands. That's what this yes. is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> It was very impressive. I mean, going through the whole game with relatively no controller is just wild to me. The The video has three different viewpoints. It's got the gameplay, then it's got the actual guy playing the game, and they he put an overhead camera um, over the mouse so you can actually see his movements as he plays the game. And it's it's... It's pretty wild. Anybody who you know, hasn't watched it, you should definitely check it out. Uh, yeah. It's at NintendoLife.com. It's it's pretty crazy. I'm going to watch this later. <laughs> I got to see this. This is just weird. The guy's reactions are amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. They are so good. Well, that's our only news story for tonight, so I guess we're going to go ahead and go into this month in video game history. On September 13th of 1985, Nintendo releases Super Mario Brothers, never heard of it, which eventually sells 40 million copies. That's a lot of copies of that game. Yeah. Making it the best-selling video game of all time until 2008, and introduces Princess Peach, who was originally known as Princess Toadstool. Do you still call her to Princess Toadstool, or do you call her Peach? I still call her Princess Toadstool. I do, too. Uh, Toad and Bowser to the Mario series, as well as common enemies and power-ups, including Goombas, Koopas, Super Mushrooms, which were originally known as Magic Mushrooms, Fire Flowers, and Star Men, and popularizes the side-scrolling platformer format. Still one of the greatest video games of all time. So you mean this isn't the game with you know the guy and the sword and he has to find the little triangles? No, I, I, I've heard of that one. Um, I was thinking yeah. this was the one where um, it, he turns out to be a lady at the end of it. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, who doesn't know about Super Mario Brothers? It's, to me, the most important video game of all time, just because of what it spawned, you know, as a result of it. it was not just for Nintendo, but just the whole video game industry in general. Yeah. On September 26, 1986, Konami releases Akumajo Dracula for the Famicom Disk System, the first game 
in the Castlevania series, which we're actually a month away from the new season of the Castlevania animated series. I'm ready for that. It's so good. I'm so excited. Me too. It's funny because I had never played a single Castlevania game or really had any desire to until I did this show. And I think the first time Joey Image was on Mm. and you guys were talking about it, that was what made me be like, okay, well, I'll actually give this series a shot. Well, most of the Castlevania games up up until, uh, you know, the, the Nintendo 64 era and beyond, you know, all the Super Nintendo, ti- the Super Nintendo title and uh, all the ones for the regular Nintendo, those were all great. They still hold up. They're still good. Um, you know, 2 is a little bit better if you have a walkthrough and try to play that game because it is such a radical departure from the other ones in the series because it's more of a RPG-ish, which eh, I'm not a big fan of. I'm still, I'd rather just straightforward go through, kill monsters, kill Dracula, boom, end, you know? Right. But I, I still love the Castlevania series. It's still one of my favorite video game series of all time. And now that they've announced uh, Simon Belmont for uh, Smash Brothers, I'm really hoping there's a new Castlevania game in the works. You never know. Uh, In September of 1987, the Master System was released in Europe. Um, Did you ever play anything for the Master System back in the day? I did not. Uh, The Genesis was my introduction to Sega. Yeah, me too. I mean, I've obviously heard of it and I knew about it back in the day, but never, never played the master system. Yeah. I don't think I've I did ever like the Genesis a, though. I don't think I've ever played a single game on the master system. Let's see. September of 1989, Atari games releases stun runner in arcades, a 3d polygonal vehicle combat slash racing game. I do not remember. Never Star heard of Runner. it. Let me look this up. I may have played this. Uh, console looks vaguely familiar. Um, there's no screenshots or anything, but uh, it looks kind of cool. Almost like a uh, motorcycle type of racing game. A weird looking. I've cabinet. always, I've always liked those gimmick type arcade machines that yeah. you know look like the actual thing you're piloting that to me just adds you know a little bit more to the experience but you know i i wasn't really that big into arcades as a kid so i this is not familiar to me yeah i don't remember this uh, i it looks familiar but i don't know maybe if i pl- i was trying to see some screenshots but the, I, they don't have any screenshots on here uh moving on uh, September 28th of 1990, Capcom releases Mega Man 3 for NES in Japan, introducing the characters Rush and Proto Man. Mega Man Slide is introduced in Capcom's character cameos. Uh, I need to pick up uh, Mega Man 3 for the NES. I still want to pick up Mega Man 1, but it's not necessarily my favorite. But, um, but yeah, I'd love to do a full Mega Man collection for the NES. I threw that one in there just for you. Yeah, I love Mega Man. <laughs> and Mega Man 11 is coming out, um, what, in November, I think? I think so. I saw some type of advertisement for it uh, online yesterday, I think. I think maybe not. It looks before. really cool. I- I'm excited for that. I want to play that. Yeah, sometime soon. And to close out this month in video game history in, in September, 1993, Sonic CD is released for PC, which introduces the characters of Amy Rose and Metal Sonic to the franchise. Metal Sonic. Um, Metal Sonic is pretty awesome, and uh, he made a return in one of the more recent uh, Sonic games. I think it was Sonic Heroes, which was for the GameCube and PS2. Uh, Metal Sonic, underrated character. Uh, I've never actually beat Sonic CD. I do like it, but it's a very long game. The Sonic games are longer than you might think. Cause I, I actually, right before we started this podcast, I just beat Sonic Mania, and I've been just picking away at that game for a while, hmm. and finally beat the final boss. Uh, you know, a little while ago. I've got to go back through it again. Not the whole game, but I've got to still get all the Chaos Emeralds. But I did go through. And beat the entire um, story mode. 
which was pretty cool. But, you know, Sonic CD is a fun game. You know, it was one that, you know, I might go back and try to beat one day because it's available for not just PC, but it's been in several Sonic collections and whatnot. So eventually I'll get around to it. Yeah. Well, we do have an interview. Um, We were going to have Scott Johnson on the show for episode 100, but um, I I actually had to do the interview separate from this show because uh, just schedules got screwed up and everything. So um, you can be honest, my work schedule screwed it up like it always does. That's okay. Um, But yeah, I did the interview with Scott myself and um i'm gonna go ahead and drop that in right here and um well, i'm not gonna do it live so if you're watching on twitch i'm sorry you're gonna have to go back and listen to the full show tomorrow when it comes out uh but right here i'm gonna drop in the scott johnson interview and we're gonna be talking about uh the video game crash of 1983 and that's gonna about be about 30 minutes long and then we will see you on the other side to outro ourselves from this episode 100 and I'm here talking to Mr. Scott Johnson, who's been on the show before, and uh, happy to have him back to talk about the video game crash of 1983. And uh, Scott, welcome back to the show. Thanks, man. Boy, the memories I have of 83 through 85, <laughs> are, uh, they, they run deep in my video game history, I'll tell you that much. So when you hear a lot of stuff about the what really caused the video game crash of 83, I mean, a lot of people like to point fingers at uh, E.T. the video game or... Uh, the really bad Pac-Man game that Atari made and then made more copies of the game than they actually had units of Ataris out into the world. Um, mm-hmm. All the bad games that were just coming out for the Atari, and it all just kind of imploded in on, it, on itself. It wasn't any real one thing. Um, and the reason I wanted to talk to you is because the video game crash actually affected your family directly because your father owned some arcades, didn't he? Yeah, so that was our whole thing growing up is my dad owned an arcade and multiple arcades in town. He also had um he had stuff in every um uh when I say stuff, he had he had uh, machines in every Pizza Hut in the entire Salt Lake uh well actually in, in the entire state. So we'd wow. be up and down Utah and then I th- want to say we had some stuff in Arizona, maybe even in Idaho, but um yeah, he'd gotten into the arcade craze in the mid to late 70s and was all in on it. It was our main business. And at this point, <clears throat> right around this time, unfortunately, he made a huge investment in ma- manufacturing and making our own stuff. And uh, that made it all just a little bit harder because <clears throat> um, now he's got a lot of money tied up in a thing that if it crashes, it's going to really hose us. Yeah. He didn't. Oh, and didn't really see the indicators coming, and basically nobody did. A lot of people got just destroyed. Great big companies got destroyed. But from our perspective, it was less about Atari or um, any kind of home stuff going on, although... Well, that's the thing. It, it not only affected the home video market, but it it spread out into the arcades, and literally the entire video game industry came crashing down. Yeah, everywhere. And arcades were hit the hardest, I want to say, because the home stuff was kind of petering along. Nobody knew Nintendo was about to come in and just completely upend it all and change it forever. Uh, and they would pretty quickly after that, but uh, which was 90 or no, 85 rather. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody knew this. And so what happened is, uh, this is this is what we said at the time, and I think I still believe it. Every arcade game seemed like right around that time, started to be pac-man clones Mm -hmm. they all look like arcade pac-man clones uh you had things like even one that we were building then we had a a deal with data east to import the boards and do it all ourselves for uh the original run of lock and chase and that ended up on some other stuff later but but for a while there that was an exclusive and um i even got to do artwork for it which you know at age 13 or whatever i was pretty jazzed and uh Anyway, at the end of the day, if we were being honest with ourselves, and certainly me looking back, they were just kind of bad ripoffs of Pac-Man. And there were tons of them. And there wasn't a lot of creativity happening. And so I'm pretty certain that this entire crash comes down to the fact that there were uh, just nothing but clones of already successful games. There wasn't a lot of innovation happening. Nobody was really pushing the technology. 
we hadn't gotten to the point where, you know, pr- pretty quickly uh, Sega would figure out ways to revitalize the way arcades felt and worked. And they would do that with games that had, you know, roll cages and, and all sorts of cool stereophonic stuff and all kinds of rad stuff was right around the corner. But if you were heavily invested right then, it just, the bottom dropped out. Just like, yeah. nobody went to arcades anymore. None of the arcades wanted your machines. Everything got crazy. Well, that's the thing. Did it, was it sort of an overnight thing or was it sort of gradual and your, you know, your family, your dad started to see kind of the writing on the wall? Well, in business terms, um, it was, it was not gradual. It didn't happen overnight though. Like no literal overnight or even over a week or a month, but there was about six to eight months of time where everything looked peachy and then eight months later, it was all gone. Wow. Um, I think in business, in business terms, that's basically overnight. You know, like that, yeah. that you can look at that and say, wow, that is a rapid decline. Well, anything that happens within, you know, a fiscal year, <laughs> that much of a decline is literally overnight. Yeah, it's hardcore. So, so we were kind of side blind or blindsided by it, side blinded. That's <laughs> Um, and it kind of came fast and furious. And, uh, you know, from a personal standpoint, we lost the business, the house, uh, cars. Uh, at the time, we had a kind of motorhome and boat thing. We go to Lake Powell all the time. Those were repossessed by the bank. Like everything went away. How old and were you at this time? I was 14. Yeah, 14. Oh, wow. And so right in the middle of your formative years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's an intense thing to go through. I mean, honestly, it still makes me kind of, um, what's the word I get paranoid about, uh, you know, people are always going, Oh, Scott's so cool. You jumped out and do podcasting and art and stuff, all this stuff full time. That's so cool. And I always go, well, yeah, but you have no idea how hard this was for me to choose this because choosing this meant taking a risk that felt a lot like the risk my dad was taking. Yeah. And, and so I've always been, it, it was, it was actually just a huge leap of faith for me in a way that maybe is more than others because I'd been through that, especially as a kid. And it, you know, I could see my parents now they were frustrated with it and how they struggled with it. And my dad was trying to get himself back on his feet and never really could recover that business. Ended up having to do other stuff. If he could have figured out a way to just hang in there till 87, 88, it all, it was turning around by then. Yeah. Well, the thing was, I think back in like in the seventies, uh, you know, late seventies, early eighties, the arcades were more of a um, kind of a place where you know they were dark, um, ne'er do wells hung out there. You know, I even remember some of the arcades here where I live. Um, even up until my teenage years, were still sort of seedy places that you didn't want to go unless you like you know wanted to get into a fight or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so they sort of changed over that period. Like I remember in the late eighties, there's, there, you know, there was a, the arcades changed to be, you know, a little more welcoming, a little more brighter, um, you know, not so seedy, I guess you'd say. Sure. I mean, there was a charm to the seediness. Like I, I some of my favorite memories are kind of garbage arcades with yeah. <laughs> cigarette burns on the controllers and, you know, a joust that barely worked. And there's something about that that I have some fond memories about. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a, but it's also kind of a dark time. I mean, there was a reason that stuff was starting to get run down and go away. It was like, um, I don't know, it reminds me of like the way that maybe um, old fashioned uh, carnivals used to be the yeah. hugest thing. And then, you know, whole areas in the country would just become derelict and empty. And, and arcades kind of went through that. Like there, we had three or four, they were all gone. Um, those malls, the malls we had them in quit having arcades for a long time. They brought them back eventually, but, uh, for a long time they weren't there and it's cause it wasn't a viable business. And what changed a lot of people at the time, I remember a lot of the talk was at least from people who, you know, had business interests or, you know, were supposedly experts, uh, economy wise, they would look at it and say, oh, well, this just proves, this proves out what everybody kind of thought, which is, this is just a, this is just a fad. Yeah. Video games aren't a thing to wrap an industry around. This is a fad, and it's now going. It's going away. It's like investing in hula hoops. You know, <laughs> if you did, if you invested too late, you were screwed. Same idea. Oh well, too bad. Let's move on to the next thing. And I remember thinking, I don't know, man. That seems way short sighted to me. And sure enough, the very next year, Nintendo would come along and change it. They yeah. just completely flipped the script and. 
you know, now we're looking at a industry that makes more than the television and movie industry combined. Well, I think um, you, you hit the nail on the head, you know, when before Nintendo came along, there was no sort of quality control to what games could be made. It was just sort of the Wild West. And that's why all these different companies that had no business at all being in the video game industry were making video games. And like you said, they were all, um, you know, Pac-Man clones and things like that. So that served up the crash. But then you had this little company um, called Nintendo come along and they sort of held a tight rein on things as far as, you know, the Nintendo seal of quality. Uh, you couldn't make a game without going through them to get the actual casing of the game made through them. I mean, it was very stringent. Um, mm -hmm. And companies got around it, like um, Konami had, I think it was Konami had, uh, no, it was a claim that, or no, it was Konami that had subsidiaries like Ultra that made mm -hmm. the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and stuff because they were only allowed to make like three games a year for the right. Nintendo. So they would start these little offshoot companies. And mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, there's a lot of crappy Nintendo games out there. But you look at the at the library of great Nintendo Sega games that are out there, and then you look at the Atari, and 95% of it is just crap. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I mean, it, it's a it's a whole lot of shovelware. I feel like we're we're better at all those things now. Like, oh yeah, uh, the way the companies act, the way that they can uh, get games approved for platforms, even the old Nintendo seal of quality kind of content restriction stuff is pretty much gone. Yeah, um, you want to go make a cool indie game for the Switch right now, you can do it pretty simply and easily and make a crap ton of money and. And uh, Nintendo does well because of it, and so do you, and everybody kind of wins. The Steam ecosystem is insane. Like, I look back at that time, and I <clears throat> I think of a lot of that stuff very fondly, and, and also some of it's a little bit dark for us in terms of, you know, what was going on in the family, but... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Man, it was such a cool experience given my interest in it now because now it's just an embarrassment of riches. We're yeah. in the golden age and it's amazing. And I love it. Like I love every aspect of it, of the business of it, the games of it, the business of the games of it, like, like every piece of it, every platform, every part is incredible to me. And it's just a, a, a you know, speaks to the innovation that was started all the way back in those years. And, I feel bad for people that thought it was just going to go away. Yeah. I remember my dad was very frustrated um, a couple of years after everything kind of crashed and went away. And then you started to see some of the resurgence, resurgence. And one of the things we saw was Sega's Afterburner game in the arcade. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't exist when the crash happened. Uh, but back before things went south, my dad had a whole sketchbook of ideas of what he wanted to do with, the, with this company and with games and stuff. And one of the ideas he had was a cabinet that you could sit in and it would enclose around you and it basically become kind of a roll kit, not an entirely 360 degree roll cage, but it would roll back and forth and move based on what you were doing. And it could be a space, you know, combat thing or an airplane thing or whatever <clears throat> it would have surround sound and all these things, none of which existed when he drew that up. It was all pie in the sky. You, you should know, have patented no it. Doing this. <laughs> and then a couple years later, there it is, and it's yeah. in arcades. And I remember feeling really bad for him. I remember thinking, <laughs> oh, man, this is just bad luck. It's bad timing. And so on a personal note, there's a lot of bitter uh, along with the suite of the, the, that era. But overall, I mean, I cannot 
I am so glad I got to grow up around that. And even if it meant my friends in junior high probably didn't like me for me, they probably <laughs> liked me for the arcade in the basement, you know, <laughs> things like that. So um, did your dad, um, did your dad get back into the, uh, the video game business once it kind of picked back up? Never did. Um, he, he took it in the shorts so hard, uh, <laughs> from that experience that he never, he was just, he was never able to, to, rec- you know, reclaim any of it. Yeah. And it was really unfortunate. He ended up doing some other stuff. And by the time he was doing that, he was invested enough in that, that, you know, there was no, there was no longer a, a, a reason to try, um, or, you know, he just have to dump all of the new stuff and go for something, something totally different. So he didn't, <clears throat> he never did pursue it again. I, I wish it would have worked out that way. He ended up passing away at the age of 63, pretty young, uh, in 2000. Young. And 2000 was a crazy year, you know. He was, you know, before he died, we're playing a lot of PS2 games and, you know, weird Nintendo stuff. And I remember him thinking or saying, you know, this stuff is so cool. Like, I wish we could have figured out a way to stay in it. And I, and and to this day, I wish we would. That would have been really great. I wish I wish I was still helping run whatever that company would look like today. So was he an engineer, or was he just kind of had a knack for that kind of stuff? just kind of had a business savvy for it um you know he was uh, didn't have any particular you know training education or skills in gaming or in programming or any of that but he was you know had some had some great ideas business wise and uh and it seemed to be ahead of his time in some of those ways i mean it reminded me a lot of if you read the stories of nolan bushnell and those type of guys mm. he, he kind of had that that brain uh but it just was, it's just when it happened is more, yeah. more the problem than what happened. And it bums me out. But at the same time, like I say, I'm really glad we got to even do it. It was really fun. Just so, having a missile command in your basement is a pretty rad thing. Oh, it's one of my favorite vi- uh, arcade games of all time. Missile command. Yeah. Missile command's great, man. Um, but I did want to ask you, I remember you telling a story not too long ago. I think it might've been on TMS, which you should be listening to everyone called the morning stream. One of Scott's great podcasts. Um, you, you found out that your dad had a, um, a storage that you guys didn't know about and it was full of arcade games and things like that. So yeah, when he, uh, when he died, I wasn't aware of this at the time, but he had put 350 of these old cabinets, big stand-up arcade cabinets that were custom-built, that we built in our own little, I guess you can call it a factory, our own warehouse. Um, with its, And they all had brand-new CRTs in them, never used. Crazy. Um, I think they had, they may have all had motherboards, but they were games like Lock and Chase and some of these ones that we took, took a big dive on. Um, but... But yeah, like this thing was just chock full of the stuff and they were, you know, fresh transformers and all the stuff you need to make an arcade machine work. Uh, controls, joysticks, buttons, all of it there ready to go. It was all just part of our assembly line. And when that all went away, um, he couldn't get rid of it. So, because uh, again, at the time there was a crash. Nobody wanted this stuff. So he put it all in storage and we didn't know that. So when he passed away, nobody was told. And uh, come to find out later that the storage facility... Uh, you know, he, my mom didn't even know about it, so nobody was paying for it. So when it defaulted and nobody was paying, they auctioned what's in there. It's basically that uh, storage war show. Oh, my that God, that is heartbreaking. And, uh, <laughs> no, it, it really is. And 350 of these perfectly wow functional, I mean, CRTs alone today, if you could, people want that old school thing. I could sell those for so much money. Oh right God, now. I gotta fight myself every time I go to the thrift store and see a CR- and see a CRT television. I'm just like, oh no, you don't have room for it. Don't get it. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Like it's such a rarity now, and they and they die, and no one's making more of them. So yeah, you know, we have the supply there. But even just from a the standpoint of like, I would have liked to have taken all of those cabinets, made main machines, and sold them or something. Like I would have loved to have done that. And the thing about CRT televisions is now that there's no more Radio Shack, they're going to be really hard to repair. Yeah, that's the other thing. So people end up just, they do what they have to do, which is either pay exorbitant amounts of money until the next time it breaks, or they just sucker down and get a, you know, get an LED, even though they don't want one. 
And the, and the LEDs are fine. It's just there are people who are purists about this stuff, and they want like the, the the original thing, and and that would have been a great way to provide that for a lot of people. Could have eBayed that stuff in a serious yeah. way. It was just a, again bad timing. Nobody knew. And when I heard that whole thing was auctioned off, I had the opportunity to find out how much it went for. It went in one big lot, I guess, mm-hmm. to one guy. Um, and I decided at the last second I didn't want to know. <laughs> I was like, I don't, want to, I don't want to know, dude. I don't think I want to know how much that went for because what they were, they were, they were acting like it went for zip, like yeah. really cheap. I'm pretty just, sure. Oh, really gave me gas, dude. That's that, so weird. That makes my stomach hurt, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really sucked. But, uh, I mean, again, these were, it was such a cool childhood, um, having that stuff just around and, and the creativity of it too, like just I love the art of video games. I love the games themselves. I loved arcade stuff and home stuff, and I knew a lot about it, so I could just have these great conversations. Mm-hmm. And my friends just, you know, they all thought it was the greatest thing in the world. So there was kind of this cool social aspect. It was it was a rad time for sure. So I'm pretty sure it informed the rest of your life that whole period. I mean, you are a video game fanatic. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's a fair way of putting it. Um, yeah, that is a fair way of putting it. I mean, had I not had that experience, I don't know that I would. Um, so, so much of my um, influences, things that inspire me, uh, work that I do, it's rooted in games. And um, to some that may sound like, well, that's just a kid's hobby. How can you build a whole life on that? I don't know, man. I feel like I did, and I don't know. I don't know how I did, but I did. Well, I mean, that's how I found you uh, as a podcaster. Was uh, in 2007, um, mm-hmm. I started listening to podcasts because I was playing World of Warcraft pretty heavy at the time, and yeah. was looking for video game podcasts and ran across the instance. And I'm like, wow, there's people that just talk about the game. This is awesome. Yeah, and, uh, it's that, uh, and that, that show was, is that still was going. My life is absolutely changed because of video games and then they changed again because of my interest in blizzard games and i didn't know that you know back in 93 or whatever when i was playing warcraft 2 i didn't know that was gonna lead to that's crazy to me that's just crazy <laughs> to think about even like my my diablo 2 days uh, i just i don't know how all of that turned into this but. Well, that's the thing. You look back 30 years ago, just back to 1988, you look at what the Nintendo was doing, what Sega was doing, and look at how far we've come as far as, you know, with VR and everything like that. What is your prediction for the next 30 years of video games? Um, I think it continues to innovate and push technology forward in a way that other industries don't. Um, that's one of the things I love about it is that it sometimes ends up informing the other business, other kinds of innovations. Uh, you know, when, when people, um, talk about a new computing platform, almost always a hundred percent of the time games are the initial focus because that's the, your way in. So VR is that right now. AR is certainly that. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't start by going, you'll be on a magical quest to the West Andes or something. Not at all. They said, no, you'll play a bunch of video games. And other cool things will happen in its wake, but the innovation is going to come because of gaming. And it always does. PCs are driven forward by games. They're not driven forward by spreadsheets or Word documents or networking. And you can even argue networking is pushed forward by by games uh gaming is 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 really this this impetus for pushing forward across across many ideas and industries and and um you know i think that that will just keep happening i don't think there's any slowdown to this the only thing that could kill it is if you know it becomes so big that and you're already seeing some of this in certain sectors and there's always threats of it in this country but you hear about it in other countries all the time where government starts to get way way too involved mm-hmm. in uh, in that because it becomes such a big enterprise that they feel like they have to um that worries me just a little bit but i have hope and uh i i think that we'll probably be fine that uh, that stuff tends to win out in the end and i think 30 years from now people will be doing some incredible things with incredible fidelity um 
but at the end of the day, it, it will still sort of just speak to why we like games in the first place. The adventures, the stories, the mechanics, um, the sense of accomplishment, progression, like that stuff will always be part of it. It'll just look better and run on different stuff. Yeah. Well, that's the thing I was going to ask you. Do you think VR is the next big step? Do you think it's we're going to move t- more towards a Ready Player One type of video game experience? I mean... Yes and no. Um, well, that's a great question. I feel like we have enough. We've had enough time pass on some of the things that have been happening lately with VR to be able to at least speak to this. Um, if you asked three or four years ago, I would have had almost no way to answer this, or or I may have been too in in too much favor of VR. Mm. Um, but as it stands right now, VR is so much in its infancy. It's really cool what it's doing and it's accomplishing, and so many other things sort of led to it being uh, such a cool thing. Um, other innovations in 3D technologies and rendering stuff and all that. But we are absolutely baby steps right now when it comes to that stuff. Uh, there will come a time where augmented reality, virtual reality, likely the same devices will be doing both things for us. Um, they'll, be the, they'll be the size of a small pair of glasses and you won't have to look like an idiot wearing those things. Um, and they'll be self-contained in a way that will make what we have today look like, you know, those 600 pound, two megabyte hard drives <laughs> IBM had in the fifties. Well, my uh, prediction is, is I think Nintendo is going to be the big, uh, VR, AR innovator in the next couple of years. They're going to, because they came along with the, the virtual boy in the nineties, which was a bold move with, it was a failure, but it was a bold move. And they've mm-hmm. been a little standoffish, but I think Nintendo dips their toe back into it and comes up with something that's going to completely blow us away. I think it's entirely possible. Um, they do tend to bring innovative ideas to the masses and do it inexpensively and make money at it. And mm-hmm. you can't always say that about their competitors. Typically, even Microsoft and Sony spend a couple of years losing money on hardware until they've got their install base up. Um, and Nintendo never does. They make money out of the gate and they innovate. Sometimes they make weird choices that everyone kind of scratches their head and goes, what are you guys doing? You're losing your edge here. And then the very next, you know, cycle, you're like, Mm -hmm. Whoa, what's this? This is amazing. Everyone owns a switch now. Uh, that's how I, 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 I think I agree with you. I think that's the, that's their mode. And so they very well could be that company. I think the race is on though, for who that company will be. I think, I think Nintendo people... might be working on it behind the scenes, you know, as far oh, as what they're going to be doing, be doing next. Guaranteed. There's, there's enough, there are, I promise you this, there are, there are not secret, but sizable teams of VR uh, innovators everywhere right now at Google, at Microsoft, at Apple. They all are trying to figure out how they can win that when the winning is ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be amazing if it came out of Nintendo. Like I would love that. Yeah, that would be that would be awesome because it would it would say so much about uh, you know gaming again being kind of the proto of what we want. And and I would be totally into that idea. Uh, whether they can pull it off or not, you know, time will tell. But um, that would be that would be great because everything else right now just feels a little bit like a half measure. Yeah, you know, PSVR is okay. It's all right. Uh, the oculus rift and the vive are pretty cool but they have their limitations the oculus go is really cool but it's got its limitations like there's a lot of half measures someone somewhere eventually is going to come up with a way to blow our minds do it inexpensively and with incredible amounts of fidelity and we're all going to lose our minds and then everyone will that's kind of what nintendo is famous for taking you know going whole hog into something that everybody doesn't know they want until they see it Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So, yeah, it's fascinating. I, uh, I'm very interested in that world. <laughs> like, I want to be there. I want to live 30 more years. And <laughs> Me <be> too. Because <laughs> I um, would like to be around for this stuff, and I'm jealous of anyone who will be. Yeah, well, I know you got to get going soon. I do have one more thing I've always wanted to ask you. Um, as far as World of Warcraft, I, I've stopped playing a few years ago. I just I really don't have time for it anymore. But do you think World of Warcraft um, is still around in the next 15 to 20 years? And do you think they move into the VR um, world? Oh, I think it's a 
Mm, the VR part, I'm not sure about. Uh, will Blizzard attempt something in VR at some point? Yes. Um, there's a problem right now with install base. There really aren't that many VR customers at the moment. Yeah. In the world, and that will grow. That will continue to get bigger and stuff. But right now, it's something like five million for the entire planet, and it's that's not enough. Um, for this to be the bona fide thing it needs to be. Yeah, until it becomes cheaper and very readily available. Right, and so... I think that's where Nintendo comes in. Yeah, and when they do, then suddenly everybody who's making games and making whatever, suddenly they perk up and go, ooh, now there's a platform we can make money on. Yeah. And that's when it'll happen. Um, you see this right now with, with uh, Blizzard, speaking of Blizzard, and their attempt to bring... Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Diablo. <laughs> One of my favorite games ever. I can't remember the name of them. Uh, Diablo 3 to the Switch. They're not doing that just because they think the Switch is cool. They're doing that because the Switch is going to make them some money. Mm-hmm. And, and probably a whole lot of money. It's going to be a great platform for that thing. So, uh, you know, they that, that's what they'll do. And peop- and companies like them, that's what they're interested in, is a is a broad-based platform where they can get their, their stuff in, in front of as many people as possible. Yeah surely that will happen at some point but world of warcraft is funny there's actually a kind of a hacked together goofy version of what you're describing already available for the vive really I tried it but i've seen somebody try it. it's super jank i mean there's no way <laughs> this is like officially supported but somebody kind of hacked it in and i have to say it's kind of interesting to be looking around the world of warcraft in in the in a virtual way um you can't really play the game as currently constituted, you, yeah. it, it's like just here I am in a town and I'm looking around Orgrimmar or Stormwind or something. That would something. still be cool, though. It's still pretty cool, especially <laughs> to be in that world that you've known so long and that you've mm-hmm. loved so much and then suddenly be able to, you know, almost feel it and almost live in it. That's pretty cool. So That's awesome. I don't know. Blizzard could at some point, if they wanted to, is create like maybe a tourist mode or something to just let people kind of fly around and check stuff out. And I would love that question is is it worth their development time to even worry about it well they just go dig some money out of that ocean of money they have yeah they have more money (laughs) than god at this point (laughs) so they could do whatever they want to do i just i think they're i think the reason that blizzard is so successful is because they're very disciplined and uh and, and and are principled and disciplined and when you've got those two things going for you you last a long time but you don't ever do anything by the seat of your pants and so it's my only complaint about them, actually, is they don't have a lot of spontaneity at Blizzard. They have long, well-thought-out, crafted experiences mm-hmm. that are amazing and that you respect them for, but they don't ever surprise you. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, like, whoa. What they, the only surprise is that everything they make is good. Well, that's because they take forever to make it, and they polish yeah. it until it shines. But it's not like they suddenly you know, come out with a mobile game tomorrow and take the world by storm. And it's because they're not, you know, they don't, that's not how they work, unfortunately. Well, Blizzard is a seal of quality. I mean, everything they do is going to be great. This is true. And I love them for that. (laughs) But, you know, would be nice if uh, they could tell us what all these secret games are they're working on. Because they've got like (laughs) five or six of them going and they've got big development and stuff. And I'm I'm dying to know what all that stuff is. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're a ways off on a lot of that crap, sadly. Well, Scott, I know you need to get going because uh, you're doing one of your other great podcasts tonight, which is called Core, uh, um, which is about the Heroes of the Storm game by Blizzard themselves. So um, tell everybody <laughs> tell everybody where they can find all your podcasts at, which you do more podcasts than there are hours in the week. I don't know how you pull that off exactly. I don't either. I, I, <laughs> there are days where I wonder if I shouldn't uh, trim the tree a little bit, then I have more time doing it. They're my babies, but... Uh, yeah, if you're interested in any of the stuff we've talked about, there's probably a show for you. The Instance, which we talked about, is is now my oldest running show, started in 2006. Focuses on World of Warcraft, which I'm still playing and loving. They just launched an expansion that everyone's super into. So if you are uh, wanting to catch up in that space, uh, that's a great show to check out. But then there's Core for Heroes of the Storm. I do a show called Boop, which is uh, just video games general where we just talk about gaming and uh, games that we're playing. I love little indies on Steam, so there's a lot of that going on. Uh, but plenty to, to find over there at frogpants.com. And if you'd rather just hear me ramble online about nothing in particular, you can follow me on Twitter at Scott Johnson. 
Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming back on the show, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. My pleasure, man. Thanks. And we're back. That was a great interview, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I you sent it to me, you know, in advance so I could hear it. And it was really cool hearing about the video game crash from his perspective just because it mm-hmm. directly impacted his family. So I think hearing from someone who had a personal take on it would have been better than, you know, if it were just like you and I having a discussion yeah. about the events that happened and He's got like the perfect podcasting voice. I mean, yeah. I think he has next to Jason Robbins the best podcasting voice around. Well, if only I had the personality of Scott Johnson, then I could have fifty thousand viewers <laughs> every show that I do. No, you bring the personality to this show, and not my <laughs> bland, boring self. No. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he—if you're interested in—he uh, said where he was at FrogPants.com. You can go over there and get all of Scott's podcasts. He puts out. More podcasts than there are hours in the weeks. I don't know how he pulls that off, but he does. And uh, all of his shows are great, so go check those out. And Derek, we're coming to a close on this here 100 episodes. Thank you, sir, for being uh, my co-host here on the show and for saying yes to doing this weird little show that we do. Well, it's not like you had to really twist my arm to get yeah. me to do it, but no, um, I, I appreciate, you know, you coming up with the idea and asking me to do it. You know, it gives me and you a platform to talk about stuff that we, you know, both love and that's the games of our childhood. And yeah. we've, we've picked up some new friends along the way, which is really cool. You know, I love, you know, seeing Nate's conversations uh, on Twitter, Brandon Rutledge on Facebook and several others. Uh, so thank you guys for supporting the show and continuing to listen to us talk about, you know, retro games and my occasional bad Owen Wilson impression. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, Wally sent me a meme today that just had Owen Wilson's face and the Nike logo at the bottom. And all it said was, wow. <laughs> I meant to send it to you and I, I got busy at work and forgot. I'll send it to you later. Those side note, those parodies have been amazing. Oh, they're great. Uh, what was I, I, my there's, favorite one? There's so one far? I saw. Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, you go ahead. I got to try to remember which one was my favorite. I haven't been able to find it since I originally saw it, but I think my favorite was the chef from the Muppets, and it's just gibberish. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. I'm gonna have to look that up. <laughs> yeah, I tried to find it early, like when they first started coming out was when I saw it, and I laughed for a solid 30 seconds. God, there was but one there have I been saw, some good ones. I, there was one I saw that cracked me up for like 10 minutes the other day. The more, like, the more I thought about it, the funnier it got. But now I can't remember what it was because I've seen literally like hundreds of them over the last yeah. few days. They're great. But There's, um, there's that one. My other one that I really like is uh, the dude from The Big Lebowski. That was it. That was the one yeah. I saw, and it made me Who laugh. Who cares, man? <laughs> oh, that was Just it. That it. was the one. Or don't. Whatever. Yeah, he's like, I don't care, man. <laughs> I was like, that's watch me. Watch where you're going, man. There's a <laughs> beverage here. <laughs> God, that makes me want to go watch that movie now. I love that movie. Uh, it's so good. We should do that one as of one of our movie movies. reviews one night. Oh, man. That, uh, that movie is so great from... The story, the acting, the soundtrack, it just all fits together perfectly. Perfect. perfect. One of the few perfect movies that's ever been made. Mm-hmm. Yep. But um, but that's going to uh, bring us to the end of the show. Did you want to uh, tell everybody about what's going on with the Derek Diamond experience? So did I tell you why the roast hasn't been put out yet? Uh-uh. I think okay. you did. I think you did. Yeah, yeah, you did. It was something with the the happened with the sound. <laughs> yeah, so the setup that I had for the roast, and as of this recording, I haven't finished it yet. So I plugged in my Zoom H6 recorder to the back of my mixer to record the audio so it would sound clean. Mm-hmm. So when I dump everything onto my computer to go to work on it, the first thing I do is I'm going to edit the audio. And then, you know, sync it with the different camera shots and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> the problem is the only thing that recorded was the music that was being played through a laptop before and after the roast. No. The rest was just dead air. 
I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I was borderline in tears when I saw that because I just felt like the whole thing was ruined. (laughs) The, The event itself was still a lot of fun and I still am going to release it. The problem is, no matter what I do, because I'm going to have to use the audio from one of the cameras, mm-hmm. and it's going to sound, it's not going to sound great, so I will forewarn everyone about that. Dude, that uh, breaks my heart. <laughs> like that, yeah, that is I, awful. Like, I had a meltdown. Oof. Like, I, I haven't been able to work on it since then. That hurts. <laughs> yeah, it is... It, like if it had just been like a more random occasion, it mm-hmm. would have been a little different. But it was supposed to be for my two hundredth show. Yeah, and plus so, that was a lot of work went into that too, man. That just ugh, that makes me yeah want to gag. <laughs> well, and the problem was I did an audio test earlier in the day, and everything worked fine. Hmm. So I don't know what happened. Never trust technology. I know. <laughs> I really like it makes zero sense as to what happened, but you know, it could be, I'm going to try to release it this week. It's either going to be this week or next week. Like I am going to sit down and finally do it. But as far as, um, the future of the show, um, I'm going to do a a mini episode the following week after I release the roast to kind of, I'll go into more detail than what I'm going to say here, but I'm going to change up the format of the show to be more film-based because that's what I want to do as a career. And I feel like the show's gotten kind of stagnant with the... And a lot of the discussions have been fun, but I feel like they've been so random and so inconsistent that it's kind of hurt the listenership of the show. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not going to lie, the last month or two months, the downloads have not been very good. So I'm going to put the show on hiatus until January of next year. And I'm going to have, you know, new logo, new um, music, new format, everything. Cool. So it'll it'll be a bit, but it will be coming back at some point, like I said, in January of next year. Yeah, well, it's good to give yourself a break every once in a while and then come back fresh. Well, I'm not going to lie. Right now, I've had no desire to do it. Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> I've been there before a few times. <clears throat> yeah, so that's, like I said, I'm going to do uh, probably a mini episode in the next week or so and kind of go into a little more detail as to what I'm going to do. Well, that's cool. Um, I also do also want to give everybody a tease that there it might be possible uh, in October that you might get to see a live Nerd Cave Retro show. What? Can't say too much about it right now, but we will let you know as soon as we get the okay to say that we're doing it. The the green flag, if you will. Yes. The green light, excuse me. I did put it on Twitter for about 10 seconds <laughs> until Derek texted me and was like, take it down, take it down. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it'll be exciting Yeah, if it, if it for sure gets to happen. Yeah. If it does, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, as soon as we know, you will know. So keep an eye on our yes. Twitter, listen to the show. We'll let you know. And, um, that's going to wrap it up for this 100th episode of the Nerd Cave Retro. Thank you for everybody for listening and, uh, being there from the beginning. All you guys that, uh, that get a hold of us and talk to us about stuff. We love that, and uh, I know I haven't gotten back to some of you lately, but that that's going to change when we're going to go back to normal. Don't forget to go over to our Patreon, help us out with the show, help us pay for it, get some extra episodes every month. So, uh, Derek, anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? No, I think that's it. All right, well, let me play this music here. If you would like to get a hold of us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We're at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro, at jfunktastic, and at Derek underscore diamond. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. And as always, if you can't afford to give us a little, uh, you know, buck a month or two bucks a month, three bucks a month, whatever, on Patreon, you can always just go leave us a review. That helps us out a lot. Go to wherever you download the podcast. especially like iTunes or Overcast, wherever. 
just leave us a review and we will be very, very grateful. So Derek, please, on this 100th episode, tell them what it's all been about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. Yes. Monkey! Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.